When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is I, your host, Ashley. Uh, you have been welcomed back very poorly to the last... Nope, that's not the name of this podcast. Hold on. How many podcasts am I on? <laughs> <laughs> I almost introduced you guys to my comic book podcast. You have uh, a comic book podcast? I have a comic book podcast. It is called The Last Panel, and this is not that podcast. This is all staying in, by the way. That's <laughs> <Yeah>, fine. <laughs> uh, but if you guys are keen to hear opinions on comic books, uh, I do have a podcast called The Last Panel that is available wherever podcasts are found. This, however, is Who's On Worst, part of the D-Rays Bay Podcast Network, where my co-host, Darby Robinson, and our wonderful producer, Brett Rutherford, discuss the worst of the worst of baseball film Oovras. Is Oovras plural? Plural? Oovra. Oovras. Oovras. Um, we, we talk about bad baseball movies, and obviously we haven't done it in a while because of this top quality intro, so we hope you missed us. Uh, for you guys, it probably seems pretty recent because we just had an episode come out, I don't know, not long ago. Um, but it's been a real long time since we recorded. Um, so let's shake the rust off and uh, talk about Mr. 3000. And I will throw it over to Darby to kind of give us a breakdown of the year and the ratings of this Bernie Mac not-so-classic. Yeah, so uh, Mr. 3000, I, I don't know how many people remember this film. Uh, I do remember seeing like trailers for it, but I never ended up watching it uh, when it came out. It, I definitely missed this uh, at, at the time. It came out in 2004, a year before uh, Fever Pitch actually came out, another Who's On Worst uh, film, maybe the best of the Who's On Worst films that we've seen so far. Best of the worst, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so 2004 is the year we have uh, Bernie Mac kind of at the, I wouldn't say the height of his power. This is like well after like the Kings of Comedy tours, but he's, he's on the Bernie Mac show. He's on uh, television each and every week. Uh, on one of the one of the more I'd say underrated sitcoms uh, in the last uh, in this millennium, um, I really love the Bernie Mac show. I thought that was really funny, and he is obviously very very funny. I will say, and we'll save it into for the like actual thing. I'm a little disappointed in how kind of not funny this movie is, but we'll start off with a little description uh, in case you haven't watched it or at least to see like this is what the description is on Rotten Tomatoes to draw people in to this 2004 film. Milwaukee Brewers player Stan Ross, played by Bernie Mac, angers his teammates by retiring during a 1995 playoff game after making, it definitely wasn't a playoff game. It's already incorrect. Um, it was, a, they were in the playoff push, but not a playoff game. It was also after the game if we want to be really like pedantic yeah. about it. It's so already incorrect, but uh, at, you know, after making the 3,000 
base hit required to enter the baseball hall of fame it's not required either definitely what is going on here okay uh first sentence terrible nine years later a clerical error is discovered invalidating three of his hits and keeping ross from the ultimate baseball honor the 47 year old player convinces the brewers to let him rejoin the team to make his last three hits and sheds his selfish nature as he rediscovers his love of the game that might be the worst description we've had so far in terms of inaccuracy that's not that's not the film either and also i don't i mean like i guess he does discover his love for the game but that's also not really i don't know that it's his i think that i mean if we're already gonna dive into it i think that his stan's connection to the game was never a problem like he was very much into baseball but he was into baseball for himself which becomes the crux of the the growth that we see throughout the movie right it's that stan was only ever into baseball because of what it could do for him exactly and it started at a young age where he like kind of developed a love for it very young and then built up and he became the greatest of his generation and from there it, it kind of spirals into you know who he becomes after but yeah i don't think it's about his discovering a love for the game in this character stan ross is a very very talented hitter it's it's kind of an interesting movie. it's a very fitting movie actually for the week that we're we're watching oh yeah we watched this uh two days i watched it two days after the hall of fame uh class of 2021 was announced uh, with notable snubs of Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, and then David Ortiz actually making it into the Hall of Fame. And all the talk of like, you know, steroids and and personalities and like, would Barry Bonds have gotten in if he was a likable... Yeah, that standoffish relationship with media. Yeah, d- very, very combative. Uh, somebody that he, you know, Bonds thought the media treated him poorly. The media treated him poorly and they just never were you know never always a prickly relationship and maybe that's one of the reasons why they are relishing this chance to keep him out so this is a very fitting because stan ross is this uh it's the film starts off with a a fake reebok commercial uh that's parodying a real charles barkley commercial that's basically you know the 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 very famous and very uh awesome i'm not a role model um which was was that reebok or nike I feel like it was Nike, but uh, basically the concept is Stan Ross is this great player, but him and the media have a combative relationship. And uh, he, after after getting his 3000th hit, is celebrating after the game and the media is kind of ripping him a little bit and he kind of blows up and decides, you know what? I'm done. I got my 3000th hit. I got mine. That is an exclusive club. It, it is not required to be in the Hall of Fame, but that is a benchmark. The Hall of Fame loves their benchmarks uh, that if you were to be in that very exclusive club, it would be basically impossible to keep not somebody to else. Yeah. Pete Rose is the only player without with, with 3,000 hits that's not in, I, I think. That isn't still an active player, like Miguel right. Cabrera, Albert Pujols. Right, right. And, they, and they're going to be first ballot Hall of Fame. Yeah, 100%. so Pete Rose, had he not committed a like egregious rules violation uh, would be in the hall of fame as well. So it's like, it is a, it is a long, you know, big time career mark. Stan Ross gets that and then decides, you know what? I'm done. 3000 exactly. I'm out. I'm retiring. And it's during the brewers are making a playoff push. They are in a race to get to the postseason. 
but he's quitting on the team right during the middle of it. We don't know exactly what, I think it's in August or September. It's, it's near the end of the season. So it's a big, it's a big deal. Total realism that uh, somebody could just, you know, up and leave their contract, which is, I mean, it could have been up that year. I mean, I think they state that it was nine years. So he would have been 36. There's no reason to think that it might not have been him going into free agency after that. But there are literally penalties to be paid for like bucking out of a contract like two months before the end of the season. If you don't do that, it doesn't happen. <laughs> it just the conceit is that, and I, I feel like that setup is just I needed a little bit more to push him to there. I guess why wouldn't he want to get his ring? I'm sorry. Like if you're in a postseason push and your goal is the Hall of Fame. You have to know 3,000 hits is not the same as 3,000 hits plus a World Series ring. Hall of Fame voters love the ring. Oh, 1,500 hits, but then you get like eight really key hits in October. That gets you into the Hall of Fame easier even than anything else. Yeah, Yeah. it's all about narrative. And so that to me, the idea is that this guy is very selfish, Mm -hmm. right? He is all about Stan Ross. He is not about his team, doesn't care about his team. It's all about individual accomplishments. But a lot of the best selfish players still want to win and they still want to win for them, for their own, like, I mean, that is sort of the concept is that, you know, some of the best players that are the elite of the, the legends of the game uh, do have a a selfishness in them, but it's that drive of like, I will not let anybody be better than me. And I am going to, I, I hate losing more than I love winning type of mentality. So it seems unlikely that an athlete of that caliber, who's been around the game, you know, for, for, you know, almost probably 20 years at that point, because it it takes a long time to accumulate 3000 hits for, for maybe people that don't know, like 200 hits in a season is a huge mark. That's very, you know, hard to, to, you know, kind of continue to get. So it takes a long time to accumulate thousands of hits. That's why so few people have done it. So it makes, it it seems odd that he wouldn't want to have October success, even from a selfish standpoint. Yeah, you want to be a champion. Maybe it's not for the fans, yeah. Like, yeah, you don't care about winning it for your team or the ownership or the fans, but like to be able to say like, I'm a World Series champion, that's literally what everybody on every team is playing for. That is the goal. Though I do find, one of the first kind of, (laughs) humorous uh, like w- one thing that i did find funny was uh you know it the, the film opens basically on um this rookie pitcher you know going against stan ross and uh he th- you know, throws it high and tight on him he gets angry and he and, and you know stan ross gets his 3000th hit on a infield hit off of the pitchers it's, it's a comebacker right off the junk yeah uh, absolutely and, and he, he beats out the uh the infield hit um and then the pitcher you know, he's, he wants the ball, the 3000 hit ball. So the pitcher, you know, out of spite, throws it into the crowd. And then Stan goes into the crowd uh, and confronts a, a father and a son to, to get the ball back right there. And the dad's like, can I just get at least a trade or something? And, and it's, it, that one was a pretty funny scene. I just did yeah. the image of a player. This is, uh, this is pre-Malice in the Palace, I believe. So the, a player entering the, the, the stands I feel like it takes on a different context after that. I have to actually see when the Malice in the Palace was, but it's right around this era. Yeah. And yeah, not, it's a, it's a little, little different um, than that. 
that was 2004 in November. So yeah, this that actually happened after this. So could you imagine for a rookie pitcher a quicker way to get blackballed from Major League Baseball than intentionally throwing at a batter who's going for his three three thousandth hit? Even a guy as as disliked as we I guess assume on his home turf. No yeah. yeah, and then throwing that ball into the stands like that pitcher would never be picked up by any other team ever again. Uh, like I just like we, the in terms of the unwritten rules of baseball, um, yeah, that guy would be a way bigger jerk than even Stan was. You would have been a pariah. Oh, absolutely, he would have been a pariah in the game. You'd have to be amazing to pull off that. And as a rookie, oh boy, I do. Lo- I loved the scene where he went in and like got the ball because like it's obviously hilarious. Like I, as a Tigers fan, remember the the kind of lead up to Miguel Cabrera's three hundred three thousandth hit, which happened earlier this this past season um and that was a huge debate like what would you ask for if you caught it like what would be your your terms Mm -hmm. would you want an autograph would you want a meet and greet would you want a signed bat what would you like what would you ask for um but like the concept i think of not giving it to the player is not gonna like go to anybody nobody's gonna think that they're gonna be like Mm -hmm. oh i mean like the dad did ask he's like i don't know like an autograph bat or something and that's fully reasonable but like it's it's not it's insane to me like this idea of a player going up give him a damn ball as if there wouldn't be like five mlb like officiants ready to like put the big sticker on it just like mm-hmm. hovering in the rafters ready to go get it as soon as it hit the the ground just to showcase that stan ross is very selfish and all that. Yeah, other. I mean, obviously, there's a lot done in the first like 20 minutes of this movie to establish that he's a selfish prick. Like, it's very established by the time you find out he has his own mini mall, um, <laughs> where everything. The next laugh I got was from that. That was yeah. that was very funny. So he quits, and like, he he obviously is now got what he wants. And apparently all he wants, and this is what kills me, this man got his, and his was getting 3,000 hits to get him into the Hall of Fame. What does he do with, you know, age 36, leaving MLB, clearly probably millions of dollars worth of, you know, pay and endorsements. You had a Reebok ad. He was a millionaire. He decides to stay in Milwaukee, which I think is established later that he grew up there. So Mm -hmm. it's not the biggest stretch that he would want to stay, but it is a little bit surprising. I think that somebody would go. They said he grew up in the South side of Chicago. Did he? Is that where the the truck was from? Okay. Well, that makes even less sense Um, that you would just no offense to anybody in Milwaukee listening to this podcast, but like I, if I had millions of dollars to my name, it would probably not be the first place I would set up shop. I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, and especially because he is not a, uh, he's not like a guy that loves the fans or want, he no, wants to be it, a legend, but like he was sort of a legend for himself. Yeah. He had no real other connection to the city and then decides to stay there. And I don't, I, all I can assume is that it's because business taxes are very low in Milwaukee Maybe. because he opened about 25 of them he in that one strip mall. strip mall. So that's, I was yeah. getting the impression he didn't have millions of dollars to his name anymore 
that maybe he had to just spurn off all of these business ideas. He wasn't getting into the Hall of Fame. You saw him even while he was coming back, rolling out this candy bar and wanting no, to go on this I press don't know, tour. man. Like the way they set that up, like that was my first thought. Like he's selling used cars, and I'm like, oh, how the mighty have fallen. But then I'm like, then he's like, you know, got a Chinese food restaurant, and he's got a car wash, and he's got a haircut place. And I'm like, oh no, this man just really wanted to ride the name of being Mr. 3000. A lot of passive income right there. That's, that's just it is, business yeah. sense. Yeah. Diversified. But I mean, he still has a big mansion, right? Like, and it's the same mansion he had when he was playing there because Moe's character later on says nothing's changed since the last time I was here. So he's very mm-hmm. clearly living in the same, you know, Milwaukee mansion he lived in nine years earlier. Yeah. We're established that he's a, a business owner and that his, you know, like, platoon buddy i guess no it was like one of the hitters um this is working for him now he calls him Mm -hmm. boca because he runs around in track suits all day long i'm glad that that became a that like became a part like the actual part of the character because i we very quickly watching it he's just like this guy just rocking those track suits and that that actor i feel like is just shows up to set in a tracksuit, always ready to go michael rispoli well he played he was in the sopranos all i can think of him Sopranos be damned is that's the lean guy from while you were sleeping. It's like well, he looks like he was leaning. Is he leaning? And that's all I can think of him as for the rest of my life. Um, but pretty sure he wore like you know tracksuit jackets and that for there. sure. But in the they actually in the film basically pay it off by saying that like he as a former player got like a you know the Reebok deal and so he got like a lifetime supply of these like tracks velour tracksuits and. He just loves them. And it's like, you know, it's like he's a little, you know, business guy. He's like trying to, to ride the coattails of his friend Stan. I loved his his epilogue towards yeah. the end where you find out that Boca actually goes to Boca. And Still wearing velour. Becomes a, a golf like teacher for like hot young things. <laughs> Blessings. It's so so yeah, we flash forward in time. It's nine years later, and Stan Ross is slow, he is not in the Hall of Fame yet. He's slowly creeping up the the vote total so you have to get uh, for those that know you have to get 75 percent of the ballots uh, of of the the baseball writers of america have a ballot they vote and you have to have 75 percent or more to get into the hall of fame and you have 10 years to do it otherwise you're kicked off the ballot forever and there are other ways to get in but that that's the main main way to get in um so at this point, he would have been four years on the ballot. Yeah, because you have to be five years retired, then it's four plus four years. So yeah, he would. So been he's year. not in yet. That's four years. And I was thinking immediately, like, come on, like you would have. He would have been okay. I can see not first ballot. Yep. That kind of pettiness. Second or third ballot, not getting in. That's what kills me. I'm like, I'm sorry, somebody with three thousand hits. No matter how bitter. If there's no PED scandal, right. there's no integrity. Right. I get the integrity clause, but that more applies to like your behavior on the field with like actual violations, stuff like that, yeah. violations and things like that. Betting. The integrity clause, yeah. as readers and fans kind of want to apply it, is things like behavior off field. So a lot of people will take the integrity clause to mean things like being abusive to your spouse mm-hmm. or, you know, scandals like the Pete Ross cheating thing, which did kind of on field and off or, or getting like arrested uh yeah. criminality yeah i mean it's never really been tested necessarily the pure jerk clause 
laws. I guess Kurt Schilling's the closest thing to that right yeah. now. Um, well, I mean, like we're Ben Verlander, we can say that Babe Ruth like murdered his wife by setting her on fire. Some some ancestor of Babe Ruth has got to get some sweet, sweet money suing Ben Verlander. Got to get some of that sweet Justin Verlander money thanks to his idiot oh brother. Oh my God. Sorry, <laughs> if you missed it, and it, this is probably well past by the time this podcast is out, but during the week of Hall of Fame voting, um, Ben Verlander, uh, younger brother of a superstar pitcher, Justin Verlander, who is a baseball guy he talks he was a minor league player never got very far um but he's kind of i think he works for like fox or something in some yeah. capacity um kind of like a you know cheeky generically handsome guy who will spout off about baseball sometimes decided to say that it's ridiculous that barry bonds isn't in but that babe ruth is in when he set his wife helen on fire <laughs> um which is not true would be a shocking story if he was breaking that. But like, if you're thinking, I did not know Babe Ruth did that. It's because he, it didn't. You, if you're like, what? Babe Ruth set his wife on fire? Uh, let me tell you, he did not. Did not. His wife died, his ex-wife, they were separated and she was living with somebody else by this point, died in a very tragic house fire that had, as far as anybody in history knows, absolutely nothing to do with Babe Ruth. Um, he existed at the same time this house fire happened, so sure, suspect. Also, to go on a quick tangent, can I just say, like, a lot of people love to just, like, tear down Babe Ruth's accomplishments in baseball, like saying, oh, there's no way he could compete in today's game. Well, yeah, I'm sure, but nobody else could do what he did back in the 1920s and 30s. Like, if 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 there was someone as good as Babe as Babe Ruth back then, then there would have been someone as good as Babe Ruth. Yeah. Like he was just shattering record after record. Well, there Has was. It was Satchel Paige, but he wasn't allowed to, you know. A little bit later on, yeah. A little. Well, yeah. so yeah, yeah, yes, for sure. Now, I think that's the one. The one really good argument <laughs> is the the integration argument. But the the idea that like, oh, just because the guys were throwing 65 miles an hour back then. I, I don't love that. No. And it's stupid because like, I've been doing like a year by year history thing for the tigers. And like the fact that like baby Ty Cobb could come out and hit over 300 in the dead ball era in his first full season, like he would be annihilating people today because he would have been trained a different way. Like these players. Yeah. Okay. Times were different in 1906, but it doesn't change the fact that these guys were, you know, monstrously talented dudes and that Babe Ruth did not set his wife on fire. <laughs> For the record, yes. Now, but so that's the thing is like in context, there are certain levels that once you reach, it's just such a rarefied error that you would be voted in. So Stan Ross quitting on his team in a playoff race, uh, being a jerk constantly to the fans and to the media, I don't care. He's still getting in third ballot max. Tops. Third ballot max. Tops. I mean, David Ortiz got in as a DH on his first ballot. Yeah. Like, no shade to David Ortiz, who's great at what he did, but he, you know, when did the Brewers move from the AL? They So they, it, what's interesting is it's during, it's post Stan Ross's leaving okay. because they mentioned that when he comes back that they're no longer, they're now in the NL and they, they don't have a DH. So maybe that was under underwritten that he was actually a DH for a big part of that time. 
Uh, it wouldn't have been his whole career like, either, but it would have it would have been only a part of his career too. But still, three thousand hits, he would have been in the Hall of Fame. Uh, okay, timeline wise, yeah, because they were in the American League until nineteen ninety seven, and this came out in two thousand four. So it would have been like a couple years after he retired. Yeah. yeah. So he probably would have been the DH for some of that. Although it's hard to say, right? I mean, I like that we're debating this, like he's a real person. Um, but Damn it, get Stan Ross into the Hall of Fame. I'm sick retired. of these morality tests. This this damn morality test. Bonds and Stan baseball Ross. Baseball writers have their knickers in a twist. And Barry Bonds belongs. Stan Ross belongs. Uh, but it is very fitting though, right? Because it is that, it's a very similar, it, besides the PD, which is a big difference, it is a very similar to a Barry Bondsian type of character. And, you know, you have like the racial makeup of this like, you know, very like outspoken African-American athlete who is, you know, the sports media is an overwhelmingly white uh, group. Uh, and in this film, shockingly diverse in terms of gender, which oh, is like the most Can diverse. I take a moment? Okay, so we'll get into kind of the, the crux of this, but the first big press conference that they have with him when, returning when with he returning. comes back, there's a whole training montage where I made specific notes about how one of the athletic trainers said the word Pilates in a way I've never heard in my entire Pilates. I'm like, ma'am, I understand it was probably new at the time of filming this, but are you serious? Um, but oh, it was very cutting edge because they had Pilates. You are the Pilates instructor, you um, know how you to know, say it. Training, and I made a little bit of note that I didn't love that they used the phrase girl push-ups. Um, but that's because I'm, you know, a feminist. Stan Ross says, why, why? And in Boca, why, why don't girl push-ups count? Why they, don't I think they're fighting. Count. I think that was a good, there is very progressive of them. <laughs> <laughs> so after this training montage, he's in shape. He looks like he's trying to, like, good to go. They have a big media scrum where, of course, Stan puts his foot in his mouth. He, you know, calls the rest of the team little leaguers, says that they need his 47-year-old self to come and save the team and, like, get them through September. Um, but the one thing I made a big note of, and I even texted Brett and Darby, and I said, there is almost an, a shockingly wrong, <laughs> like, it just seemed ludicrous number of women in this media scrum. Like there was at least 10 women in the room. And like, even when they kind of pan through the clubhouse in the next scene to show him kind of going to meet the team, the only reporters you see are women. There was at least two female reporters moving around the locker room, talking to guys. Um, it was just a ton of women in that room. And I was just like, well, that's wonderful. I wish it represented what all media groups in real baseball looked like, even though it doesn't. Um, and then one of our other main characters of the movie, Maureen, Mo, um, and she shows up as an ESPN kind of, you know, like headline reporter. Yeah, reporter, yeah. She's mm -hmm. been sent out to cover this. And what you kind of glean from her interaction with Stan is that they had something going on in the past which is later revealed to be quite an ongoing love affair um and she's been sent down to kind of cover the story of his first game or two back return yeah it would it would be like if barry bonds returned right now which yeah. you know in that, that it would be a big story you know people would you know absolutely tune in or Derek jeter left the uh ownership box and was like you know what the marlins stink you guys are weak the captain is here. <laughs> let's let's do this. And what I loved about it was that it 
put a black woman in the spotlight as not only a prominent female reporter with ESPN, but one that was going to move into like unit production as she kind of phased out of doing on-field reporting, um, which I thought was tremendous. And of course, played by Angela Bassett, who looks flawless and terrifying. And I would not want to be her ex <laughs> in any capacity. She, she was bringing a very interesting energy throughout the entire film. In some places it worked, in some places it didn't. It, it, it was not, it was not, it was very inconsistent. They played her as like a like jilted ex in very weird ways at some point for somebody mm-hmm. who very clearly kind of went into the movie like, okay with her past relationship with Stan. Like it was kind of like a water under the bridge. We had something, but you were too into you and I had my own kind of mountain to climb and my own goals to reach. And then she goes in and has like this enormous blow up at his bar where she really does respond like a jilted ex-girlfriend. And it, it didn't sit right with how I felt that character was supposed to. I didn't get that character at all. Like throughout the entire, I didn't understand her relationship with stan like what she really saw in him like i that didn't come through like they you know like he was a prime athlete and they were you know having affairs and and then she you know there's a a scene in toronto where he she well, you, tries to know, surprise him and you those expect canadian that, that. groupies they're a different breed they're a different breed <laughs> but i just never got i never really got that uh that pairing very well i didn't really buy they tried to set it up like he was kind of indicating that the stuff that he loved about being with her wasn't the physical stuff it was the stuff mm-hmm. in between and it's like oh if he has depth shocking but then that scene kind of got twisted in that she she turns around and she's like what do you mean we're not gonna like do anything tonight like you don't want to like get it on oh well, i'm gonna go and i'm like are you negging him right now like are you like pulling this like backwards reverse psychology nonsense that pickup artists tell dudes to use with women to like guilt them into having sex because I don't like that it was a very strange like they're just a very it was just a very the romantic plot which is a big plot of the movie and it's like kind of like the reason for Stan's like I guess somewhat arc which we'll get into I don't really see much of an arc here at all but like that is sort of the idea is like his getting better speed bump he goes through a little life speed bump he gets slightly better i don't think he's that different at the end of the film i think he's still the exact same like arrogant sort of selfish guy uh but we'll let's get we'll we'll get into that part so the the film's big conceit though is that now after four years on the ballot still not in the hall of fame He's getting close, like he is like inching up every year. And the big key is there's this rush at the uh, the the stats at the, the MLB office and they're, they're, this guy rushes in and he, like in a sci-fi movie when they're like find alien signatures, he like rushes in and is like, you know, when we, when people are up for the hall of fame or getting close, we, we like quadruple check the numbers. Uh, well, we looked and we found some discrepancies and they, they find that uh, that there was a rained out game or a suspended game that then got picked up again. 
you know, like a month or two later. And that does happen a lot. And there's always some weird statistical stuff that happens when sometimes it could be before the trade deadline and then somebody gets traded. And so sometimes that pitcher, the stats roll over, but then potentially like that pitcher like debuted, like a player could make their MLB debut before and after their first hit and weird like time space continuum bending with the way baseball cap like tracks these things or somebody could be pitching for one team and then gets traded and then is end up pitching for the other team in the same game so in this basically they count double counted stands hits from that game and made this error something that to be perfectly honest would never ever actually happen i i get that this is this is probably one of the best ways to make this conceit happen like if you're it's coming in the idea is like he has 3,000 hits and then they take three away and he actually has 2,997 and so then he has to come back to try to get those three hits because being Mr. 3,000 is a big deal to him it's just it doesn't really it really wouldn't have worked like that baseball is incredibly meticulous it's something with the stats so so specific and so closely watched with baseball it never would happen like in the era of i mean i'm pretty sure fan graphs and bref were both around um in 2004 though i could be making that up i live in a world where i'm used to having like <laughs> nine thousand different sources for this stuff but um bref for sure i would have thought but those stats themselves were still maintained even if they weren't immediately available online to, to jerks like us but like yeah the idea that three hits would suddenly just vanish from somebody's record and I was joking before this that I said that I, I could think of at least one player I would love to see one hit um disappear from and that would be if they finally like this works out well because of after I watched the movie on live replay would have come in really handy here in a lot um, of ways yeah <laughs> I, I is the Armando O'Galraga not perfect perfect game obviously and I of course I, I think his name was Jason Donald and I could be making that up out of my memory but he was a Cleveland Indians hitter at the time who reached reached first base safely even though he didn't and obviously the the game ended on the next batter and it should have been a perfect game and I'll die on that hill and I think that um MLB should give it to him and umpire Jim Joyce would also die on that hill it's like he he's haunted by that as well he is uh... he admitted it the next day he was tearful he apologized what can you do um but But baseball will not even go back and like change that like no, in, they won't. in the thing, exactly. even though the umpire, the replay, everything is saying like, oh yeah, that was um, that was an out, and it was the last play of the game. So if you just say, oh, that was actually an out, it's over. Because of that, they still won't change that. So like, it is still not a perfect game in the record books. So baseball really doesn't go back and correct things. The only types of statistical things that do change are like when uh, MLB recently integrated yeah. a lot of the the negro league statistics in which allowed some players to increase their statistical yeah. totals um so pre-integration uh separate league and then into integration into baseball those stats carried over so you got to see the full breadth of talent um including players like satchel page uh, even Bell. though yeah some of those some of those statistics were you know, kind of a little bit harder to find back then and maybe not as well recorded, especially um, pre-integration. But like, that was at least an effort to fully correct the record. Like these things happened. These people like played, these should be part of the the record books. Taking away stuff, it just, it, it wouldn't happen. But I will give the movie credit that that is 
the best possible excuse to be able to make this concede happen. But do you think it would have taken them four years of Hall of Fame voting? No, it would have been the first one. I think I think that's my biggest problem is it should have been on his first ballot. Yeah. Like it should have been basically, is he going to be a, a first ballot Hall of Famer or not? And I guess the idea is it's better if it's like more delayed, but 3,000 hits would have gotten him in there. And then I thought when I'm watching the movie, like would baseball writers be so petty to say he actually technically now has 2,997. That's still, you know, one of the best hitting marks of all time. Would they be that petty to deny him? And I was like, yeah, actually they And it becomes that too, because, and I don't know how they figured this, because obviously I don't think they took into account the real voting window and when the mm-hmm. ballots are announced, because later in one of the news broadcasts, they're like, oh, well, he dropped like 21% and uh, yeah, you're better luck next year. And I'm like, oh, so we're counting ballots in September now? <laughs> it's a little, well, I think that's, isn't that the pre, was it the for, season before or during? Cause it's not, I, they didn't have Ryan Thibodeau back then to, to yeah, maybe little baby Ryan Thibodeau uh, trying to do his little Twitter Ryan account Thibodeau? being like tracking the, uh, tracking the ballots. And cause we can see like the drop from private ballots or public ballots versus year oh, to year drops and things like that so yeah you can really see the extra 23 percent that omar Vizquel had in the uh, anonymous the cow- in the cowardly bracket the coward yeah, the coward ballot. Um, so yeah so this is this interesting thing is i i get that that's the conceit of the film is that for some reason he's not getting there people are the, the baseball writers are slowly warming up to being like okay fine we can't keep him out but now he drops to below 3,000 hits and now they can be like, you know what? Now I'm taking more <laughs> justification. And I'm like, that seems unrealistic. But then I'm like, oh, never mind. Yeah, no, that's pretty realistic. There are some very petty, very petty old men. But Tom Brady's out scratching his pen, getting ready, ready to, to like a video. Sports oh. Illustrated can't, video about why he I can't in good conscience anymore. Uh, oh, it's a hollowed ground that it must be walked. Oh, blah blah blah. Tom Brady will never listen to this i feel okay <laughs> <laughs> only if we make this into a mimeograph will he listen to it yeah <laughs> but um yeah so let's it, basically the gist of it is if you don't know hall of fame voters are petty 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 betties i think there's a lot of discussion as to whether or not it should just be in the hands of baseball writers to select because if you weren't aware the bbwaa the baseball writers association of america have sole voting privilege over who gets into the Baseball Hall of Fame, which when you think about it is kind of goofy. Like there's no managers involved, there's no players involved, there's no broadcasters involved, um, nobody but writers. And as a baseball writer, (laughs) that seems a little skewed. (laughs) um, Stan Ross would agree. He would high five me for that take, which is not my goal here. Uh, Let's take a quick break and then we'll kind of get a little bit more into some of the plot, some of the characters and meet the rest of the Milwaukee Brewers of the new era. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. So this is like one of those movies that I like because it does work within the confines of a real team. Mm -hmm. Um, So you do get to see those really cool views of Miller Park and you get to see kind of the awe-inspiring moment when, when Stan Ross comes into the new clubhouse for the Brewers and kind of goes up and sees his jersey for the first time. Um, and you get that beautiful kind of like glittery gold that comes on the back of the Brewers uniforms and like even my heart went and I don't care about mm. Milwaukee Brewers. But I like those because it just lends that authenticity to things where you're like seeing like the really ugly Astros uniforms from 2004. Mm, yeah. Um, and, <laughs> you know, you get like that real, it's it kind of the same way that with Fever Pitch, where it was so part of the Boston Red Sox lore that even just those, and I think what was missing here was more of those crowd scenes, like that beautiful B-roll footage of just like what it feels like to be a fan of the park, I think is what made Fever Pitch feel so romantic and feel like it worked so well as a baseball movie. And I think this hit that in certain ways that were very effective in like the views of the park and the fans and the stands, but I don't think it did enough of it to like make you feel, as Moneyball would say, romantic about baseball. You kind of needed a fan character, you know, like, like major league has uh, Randy Quaid and the, and those other guys. And like, you get to see them, you know, like you get to have that, that uh, it's like kind of like the Greek chorus type of thing. There's a, there's people that get to be like, you know, Stan Ross, this guy's a bum. Like where I, my legend, he's back and he's he's old and he sucks. He can't do anything. He can't hit, um, which is fairly realistic. Like a forty-seven-year-old man coming back would get absolutely destroyed. No matter how much working out and Pilates he does, he would get absolutely wrecked. And he and he absolutely does. So I think like there is a they they shot um, at live games in between innings and they got all of that, which is which is great. But I do think if you maybe had like a character, like the kid that Stan Ross stole the baseball from grown up uh, or not grown up, but like, you know, a teenager Older or something, now, yeah. you could like maybe see the arc through them as well. Like give you some other kind of point of view character just for like the baseball side. Um, and it's, and it's kind of odd because like, so, so Stan gets brought back because, um, Mr. Big, the owner of the yeah. uh, of the team, um, uh, freshly canceled Chris Noth, uh, uh, pre-cancellation, pre-fighting out of some. But now we found out uh, how Mr. Big got all his money because he was yes, a being the owner, of the, owner. <laughs> who's obsessed with filling the stands. Classic owner. He's not really a villain. He's just an owner. It's so actually kind of like that that he's not like a antagonist. No, he's not he's like. Just- He's not like a bad guy. He's just, he literally is like, we're a last place team. We suck. There's no fans in the stands. And the biggest, the biggest draw of the season was the retirement, the, the Jersey retirement for Stan Ross. That scene was great. So there, the, yeah. Stan's return to the team is a Jersey retirement, retiring his number 21 Jersey. And the fans are packed. They, they love it. But they, the, they couldn't get any, they couldn't get Robin Yount. Or they couldn't get any of the, the 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 great Milwaukee Brewers legends. Instead, they got some random middle reliever from like the 80s who played with him for like one season yeah. to be one of his speakers. And then his friend Boca, who's a man of very few words. Yes. <laughs> who 
as the two speakers. So they basically were like, Stan, very selfish, always about himself, great hitter. That's it. And it's yeah. and he's and it's like, uh, okay, I guess this is the thing is like, he's a little, little crestfallen, but then he does his speech, big speech, and he's trying to like really inspire the crowd. And the fans are eating it up, which I guess I was kind of, it's kind of weird, right? Because like we're introduced to him like attacking the fans and the fans kind of getting against them. But like clearly Milwaukee fans loved Stan Ross. They're celebrating him and cheering him. The build of him having a business is there. They have to kind of be successful. You kind of feel at this point that he's kind of like a local celebrity, probably like a, a D-list local celebrity, but like the guy... To me, it, I don't know about you guys. Did, did it strike you as odd that that wasn't like a part of it? Like, it's literally just the sports writers that are like basically against him. And like maybe his old man, like there's no, it's a very strangely lack of like antagonist. There is some, it's basically just Stan is both the hero and the villain of the yeah. story. Which, which I think hurts the film. I don't know. I don't know if that, I think it, it kind of makes it a lighter narrative because there's no villain for him to overcome so much. I mean, Pennebaker, so we'll talk a little bit about the rest of the team, is that when he comes back, obviously he's introduced to the new Brewers, um, this team that has kind of come together in the nine years since he's been gone and are not so thrilled that he has declared them to be little leaguers. Um, so there's quite a bit of animosity about him kind of coming back in September, you know, September call-ups, you know, not exactly welcoming this guy who's literally just doing something for his own records. And so you're introduced to, to a handful of the players. Uh, they have an actor playing their catcher. I didn't even get his name, but I've never seen an actor look more like a baseball catcher in my entire Evan life. Evan Jones, who I think usually plays white supremacist roles. Like, I feel like he's always like playing. He's got like a big nose that looks like he's bro been broken. He looks like yeah. he's- He's like a tough guy. He like does a lot of tough guys, a lot of- yeah. character actor piece you know guy at bar who starts bar fights <laughs> yeah guy exactly he looks like a roughneck but like but perfect catcher perfect catcher, perfect yeah. catcher you take one look at that guy and you're like that's a catcher mm -hmm. um like i don't even think they'd introduced him as a catcher when he walked onto screen oh, and i'm like that we knew we knew. we knew i was like yep so of course you know he gets to his locker and there's a walker in front of it ah uh, har har he's the old man whatever he doesn't really react to it initially he kind of just sets it aside reverently looks at his jersey and then you're kind of slowly introduced to some ridiculously stereotypical characters that round out the rest of the main brewers cast kind of worse than like major league because like we reference major league a lot because it's a classic baseball movie and they have like in that movie they have like the crazy caricature like you have the caricature like foreign players and caricature black athlete, caricature this. Like I, I think they tried to settle it up here where they were like, what kind of players would you see on a major league team? But it but didn't like, work as well. It, it didn't because it wasn't it wasn't played for laughs, no. really. It was just that they weren't. So you had kind of like the hot-headed Latino characters who would break into fights with each other constantly. You, yeah, you had the middle infield, uh, Minato and Skillet. Who weren't funny either. They were not funny! That bit, there, so there's a consistent bit that they are fully committed to, which is that these two guys, the second base and, third, and shortstop, are just like they're two peas in a pod, but they will compete over everything. So they're yeah. at one point they're competing over naming all like uh, 
actors in soap operas or characters in soap operas. They're they're competing over who can throw out like a trash, you know, like a like a, a ball into yeah. a trash can or run across the thing. They're like toddlers, right? And that's yeah. a joke. It's not funny. But and it is constant. I like the idea of the relationship, but like, yeah, it's got to be funny. <laughs> yeah. It's and so it bad. Wasn't. They, and and then, they fully committed. They were two feet into the deep end. I got and a, I hated it. a little bit of a chuckle over the soap opera thing because they're just sitting there on the fence and they're like talking soap operas back and forth to each other. And Bernie Mac's like, come on, guys, we're playing to win. And nobody cares about him at this point. And they're just like, let us talk about like, you know, Port Charles or whatever the hell we're talking about now. And I thought that that was kind of cute because the one guy got real mad. He's like, you can't put telenovelas in. So like there was a little, it worked, and but that was it. That was the only- That was that. The other other humor comes from, you have uh, the the Japanese Japanese player, the pitcher, and he gets the uh, words wrong. Like he'll like try to use like a colloquial- great at the language like he speaks english perfectly but idioms and swears are mm-hmm. ha 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 he doesn't get them and so he'll be like whole of an ass and it's such an over like it's ridiculous in that like that's where we're leaning that the japanese speak born character who has perfect english otherwise doesn't and has been in and has been in a major league clubhouse for how many years I feel like if you were going to do this, like, I think they're trying to do, like, the Ichiro thing, where all of his teammates would teach him, like, American curse words and stuff like that. But the way it's, like, pulled off, like, so the actor who is who is half Japanese, he's from St. Paul, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And, like, he couldn't be more, like, American sounding. Like, he is the least, I was like, I... This if is he not... hadn't said he was from Japan, I would not have known. Because like he's not that... like at the very least he's not doing like an offensive voice. No. So like that's good. I'll I'll, I'll be I'm like good job not doing that. But it was like, it, wait, oh he's supposed to be Japanese. Like yeah, I didn't and... know that that was the thing. I was just like he just said has weird colloquialisms. Well, when he came like when he first starts talking, he just seems like he's grouchy and doesn't like him. And then you don't really even understand what the, the shtick is supposed to be until he's like whole of an ass and you're like, what? And then you're like, oh, oh, are we gonna do this? Are it we doing the thing where the funny. foreign player doesn't know how like common terms of phrase are used? Um, that's not. And those are really- it didn't, None of the side characters really landed with humor. And that's no. a big, pro- that's a big problem. And it, and the biggest thing is that it relies so much on Bernie Mac to bring any jokes. And he and doesn't. I love Bernie Mac. He is so funny. But what in the world? He is not given anything to work with. And the problem is, he's so unlikable through like 80% of this movie. Mm-hmm. And it's and I feel like Bernie Mac is the guy you would get because he is effortlessly charismatic and charming. Uh, rest in peace, Bernie Mac. He's a, a person that you can absolutely be like, whatever the character, you're gonna you're gonna fall in love with him. And he can play cocky and arrogant and like, but like lo- kind of likable. But this character is just kind of a jerk constantly for so long that it's really hard to be like, I'm not even like laugh. There's a few jokes like, Ber- like listen, Bernie's given over almost two hours in this movie. He's gonna get a few jokes off. But this is a this is an off shooting night. This is a this is like a six for 
36. Like he's firing up threes, but they're just missing. The best line of the entire movie wasn't even a Bernie, Bernie Mac joke for me. It was a Chris Noth line. And it's when he's like, listen to the sausage stand. Yes. yes. <laughs> because there's a, a completely like tertiary character who's in like four scenes. And it's one of the sausage race sausages that the brewers are famous for. Played by comedian Dane Cook. What? No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh, no. Dane Cook made me laugh against my will. He did. No. But the but you're right, though. It's Chris Nothick. It's the best joke line because... You know, Dean, the Dean Cook hot dog is basically saying, like, you're two for 58. You yeah, suck. He's just like, because the basically the gist of it is this hot dog is on Stan's case the entire movie because at one point they're in the same bathroom, which seems unlikely. And the hot dog is like, help me get my zipper undone. And Bernie Mac's like, no, nah, man, I'm not, I'm not helping the hot dog get his wiener out, which was not even the joke. And it should have been. That's a better joke. You. You just punched it up. You just got a better joke. You just punched up the script. And <laughs> they should really hire me for all baseball. You got, you got, you got a, um, a wiener trying to get a wiener out. Boom. What? A, come on. So take a second pass, everybody. Ever Let's since go. That, that moment, the sauce just real sassy to Bernie Mac's character every time he sees him. And like, he's kind of dancing around in the background of the scene where, where Stan and the owner are kind of chatting and the owner doesn't want Stan to hit on the road because he wants him to have his 3000th hit at home. Yeah. He, he has at this point gotten a, in, he, is, he has been terrible. He can't get hits, um, but the owner is keeping him in the game because, or he's keeping him in the lineup because he's getting 35,000 fans in the stands and which totally reasonable. You're a last place team, just whatever, let him in. To the game uh and then he he gets a broken bat hustle single slides he slides into slides the first. in the first not great kevin kiermeyer style absolutely the, the throw is wide yep. so it did it did help so the first time the slide actually helps and then he also gets a hold of a home run yep. so he's at two nine 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 and then they're about to go on the road and the owner decides to say like you're not gonna bat and Bernie's like, you're taking half my bats away. And it's like, dude, they're doing fine without you. They don't need <laughs> yeah. you. And the hot They're trying to get to like, third. This is the stake, which I do like that the stakes are incredibly small, which is they're a last place team trying to move up just a little bit. Just like a little, just like a little bit at the end of the season. I kind of took a little bit of issue with that again. It didn't really matter. But like, you've got um, him going like on Larry King and Jay Leno and these like legendary TV personalities are like their leading question is, so the Brewers, you guys are trying to get into third place. Nobody would, yeah, nobody would give a <laughs> Nobody would, there would, there is not a, you're totally right. Nobody would give less of a crap about where the state, they're like, I don't know what the Brewers are doing. I don't care. What is their hit? Like, what? where's your candy bar? Where's the, what's next for Mr. 3000? I did like the hand drawn candy bar that he that brought funny. on Leno. I thought that was a, I, I had a good laugh at that one. And of course, um, he, he calls up Dave Navarro on the phone because Carmen Electra is the other guest that day. And I'm like, whoa, that is a pop culture moment. You really had to be there for to get that joke. This film is a insane time capsule of media, especially sports media of the early aughts. I mean, Peter Gammons has a pop. Like it is, incredible you have peter gammons you have you have stuart scott rest in peace sports center like oh by the way the most 
laughs, the most jokes, rapid fire, are definitely from Stu Scott. Like, he's the one that's, like, bringing it. I mean, that's realistic, though. And it is realistic. Oh, it just made me miss. That, like, brings me back to my, like, my, like, teens, you know, like, late teens before going to college, just, like, every day putting on Sports Center, watching Stuart Scott, like, religion, like, amazing. Loved, loved Stuart Scott, loved Sports Center. And then you had, like, the best damn sports show. You had yeah. PTI, which I, like, I remember being on back then, but also I'm like, man, they've been on the air for two decades it's crazy like this is a crazy and you have ea sports you have mvp baseball which no longer is a thing it's like a very weird media time capsule and you also have like yeah leno and larry king and... Uh, my favorite cameo comes in the form of one of the sports reporters that gets one line in the entire movie and that is one keegan michael key yes. hanging out behind the batting cage it's a crazy wig <laughs> one line that might have been his hair at the time i'm not sure what to tell you he maybe, shaves his maybe. head now um so he is just he's like trash is like How, how's the season gonna go stan and that's it that is keegan michael key's entire appearance in that film but i'm just he's like and he's behind netting and i'm like he's in focus for like a half a second and then and he's like, out of focus the rest all of the caps in my notes i'm like is that keegan michael key oh my first thought was oh look it's a keegan michael key cameo but i'm like no this is just a very this small just, role that was the role he got because <laughs> yeah. that, was, that was before he was anybody and i'm like oh my god God, I was so excited uh, and that is the most excited I got in the entire movie um, but we have left out one kind of major character in all this discussion because yeah. we've already talked about the sausage played by Dane Cook at kind of the second lead besides you have Bernie Mac you have Angela Bassett and then you you have like this is the third lead and that is a character named T-Rex Pennebaker which is fantastic a, name a chef's kiss of a baseball that's a, that's an all-star name right that there. is true just had just Pennebaker alone that man is destined to be a baseball player. You throw in T-Rex, got a little T-Rex tattoo, not a dinosaur. I think it's like an eight ball and it says T-Rex on it. Inexplicable why he doesn't have a dinosaur tattoo. I'm definitely creating a road to the show character named T-Rex Pennebaker in next next year's end will be the yes. show. That's for, for absolute sure. But he is like, he's the superstar of the Brewers. He's the only one getting hits. He is, as Darby said, Mookie Betts before there was Mookie Betts. 46 home runs or 47 home runs like absolute mammoth shots yeah he is a monster he is played by the incredibly attractive brian white um i feel like i'd throw that in for any lady listeners do i have any female listeners on this show is it just me <laughs> or any like anybody who isn't a lady who happens to like looking at attractive men um brian white in his youth whew, that was not hard to not hard to look at i'm so sorry i digress <laughs> um, but he he and we're talking about kind of stereotypical characters in the brewers and while he is kind of the third lead behind um stan and mo um he is very much played as the i've got a chip on my shoulder you know young black fan and dude is in video games he does not have a lot to prove to have that level of kind of animosity. And I get that the point of it is that he's supposed to remind Stan of himself. Mm -hmm. That he's supposed to be like, oh, that's young me. And then he kind of has that, that come to God moment where he realizes, oh, that's young me. And he doesn't want T-Rex to kind of go down that path. And that's where we're supposed to see character building for the two of them. But I'm like, did we really need to have like two of the same stereotype mm -hmm. at different generations? Like, 
it was kind of a bummer. It, it, it didn't make of- a lot of sense because like I could see, I would rather it be a different, I mean, I, you're, you're right. Like I, that's the, that's the idea is that like Stan after one game, the, the, the media is basically saying like T-Rex, like, you know, how did your team do or whatever? And he's like, my team, it, you know, sucks. Like if they what were like team? me, uh, it's just me. I yeah. Know. They would be hitting home runs. Like I'm the one doing it all. And he's like blowing up on the media and like Stan, you know, I feel like motivated by very little like I get that it's like him seeing himself but like it's not really that well motivated in the film uh decides to like jump in and like take the attention away like kind of do a solid for T-Rex he did also pull off a hidden ball trick that game which is way more impressive by the way great this is the second film we've done with the hidden ball trick and this was this one was done incredibly well the pitcher is not on the mound he is not on the mat. Like when they show, when they show uh, the Japanese pitcher, I forget his character's name. Uh, he is not on the mound. Stan has the ball. So that is entirely on the first base. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the runner at first, you should have just been paying attention. That's on you. Get out of there. He also was out the first, every first base umpire makes the wrong call and every single play at first base. This is a nightmare. Terrible umpiring. Robot first base umpires now. Move it, move it around. <laughs> I, robots everywhere. No, so like he has, he, you know, he then tells everybody like, ah, the hidden ball, you know, he tries to bring the attention and it's it's him doing T-Rex a solid. And then after the game, he he confronts T-Rex wearing, we had to talk about the, the, the costuming in this film because the most aggressively early 2000s costuming, you got T-Rex dressed like, I don't know, like an LL Cool J impersonator, like a Kangol hat and a baby blue jumpsuit. He he reminded me of um, Donald Faison's character from Clueless in that one yeah. scene. Yes, yeah. Like it just, I'm like, oh, mm, you know. It's a, it's a choice. It is a huge, all huge white choice. Thing, one, yeah, I don't know. All white or Rough. baby blue. But, but that was like, that was, that was Stan and T-Rex being able to, Stan being able to say like, listen, I see what's going to happen. You're going to have a great career and then you're going to be denied because I was you, you were me. You're going to have this chip on your shoulder and you're going to take it out in the media and you're going to take it out on the fans and then they're going to hold you down. And then some guy you don't even know is going to show up at your Jersey retirement. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And so like, I, I feel like that could have been a better moment if it was better motivated in the film. But I agree. Like, I would rather just... Like that's such a low hanging fruit that you're making like the two black characters, like the two black baseball players in the film have to be like, like, uh, like aggro and like angry and like chip on their shoulder. And it's like, I I feel like that's just such a stereotypical, like it's too easy, but I mean, like, you know, maybe that's not like, maybe that is something like, you know, African-Americans are very underrepresented in baseball. So like there is maybe that, that level of motivation to be better. But like, I think you could have had a, you could have mined a lot. Like you could have done a similar stand like character piece that maybe not. The other thing that bugged me is like when you're first introduced to the team, everybody in that clubhouse is annoyed at the way that Stan talked about them being little eagers. Everyone, including Pennebaker. And now three games later, Pennebaker's turning around and going, oh, they're all little eagers. Like he's doing the exact same thing. And I, that didn't feel genuine to me. Like 
you wouldn't have had any kind of I don't know it it didn't work for me it didn't either it that that was that kind of rang hollow and I feel yeah. like the the whole arc of you know Stan very quickly he's like failing and then in one game he he notices a, a tell in the pitcher guy ducks his his elbow on a curve Stan grounds out sharply um but then he he's excited to go back to the dugout and be like guys here you go we got it he ducks his elbow with a curve load up let's do this and everybody's like who cares and then t-rex hits a home run off of a curve and he's like you saw it and t-rex is like i don't need anything like i'm the best it just it just does feel like out of nowhere that he is suddenly now like convenient to the plot a very selfish all about him athlete which i mean maybe that was what his character was but like maybe show that a bit yeah, like give us some like some media like some interviews where he's just like that or he has his own commercial now you could have had mo like in the tv at the bar mo is talking to t-rex being like what do you think of your guy a game and he's just like listen i'm trying to drag this team on because that would have introduced both of those characters in a much more interesting just, way it doesn't even have to be like focus on it, it could just been like a quick little thing in this in yeah. the background yeah, that's like a very, that'd be a nice way to show that. And like Boca, Boca could have been like, remind you of anybody? And he'd be like, nah, yeah. Like that's all, all you had to do to I think mm -hmm. give that the, the same kind of, make it feel warranted. There's one other character I want to talk about quickly. And he's, he's a man of few words himself. And that is the team manager who I don't even know what his name is. I'm not even going to lie to you, but he's played by Paul Servino. Yes. Um, and he... Is just doesn't say a thing. He doesn't say a thing. Doesn't and it's, it's, a thing. this is the payoff that works so the best for me in this entire mm -hmm. movie. For one, I don't believe that a manager would still be around after nine years for a team that is doing this poorly. No, no. But let's not. let's wave our, our, our doubts and say that he's, you know, had a couple winning seasons in between. Who knows? But yeah, team's doing poorly, but it's the exact same manager that was there the day that Stan left the team. And he has not a single line through 90% of the runtime of this movie. He just glowers, he like stalks around, he sits on the bench, he looks grumpy, and that is it. And then in one moment, Stan gets to first base and he is safe. Uh, and it should be his 3,000th hit. I think that was his 3,000th, yeah. That would have been his 3,000th if he was safe. Another error, another blunder from the first base ump. And the first base ump calls him out and Stan's like, but he he doesn't get aggro about it. He goes back to the dugout or heads in the direction, but you kind of pan over the dugout and you see the tiniest, tiniest hint of a smile hit Paul Sorvino's lips. It's just like this little tick. And then all of a sudden he's up the dugout stairs and he is whipping his hat off and he is charging up to that first base umpire and he lets loose a tirade of the most superbly realistic managerial per pitch perfect pitch that perfect. I have ever seen. And he, like spits flying and they're in each other's faces. He gets ejected. He's just calling him every name in the book. And it is the first and only time that that man speaks in the entire movie. And it is the most perfectly executed. Cause I think I was about to make a note. And I'm like, is this guy gonna say anything in this entire movie? Like right before this, there's a scene in the dugout which also didn't work for me before this whole thing where Bernie Mac is like, you know, he's sitting further down the bench and 
he's just talked to Pennebaker and Pennebaker's off doing his own thing. And then he kind of like looks over to the manager and he's like, you know, I know I messed up. And like, he's like, I know you're mad and I'm sorry I left the way I did. And then he says, I was young coach. I was young. And I'm like, sir, you're about to retire. You were like you were 36 years old. I think he was 38 because it's nine years later and he's 47. He's 47. You're right. So he's so 38 years old. You're not young, man. You're old. Not years for the old. earth, but for baseball. You're I'm 38 years old. But Believe you're also it. a grown up. You're, an, you're a grown up adult. Believe it or not. I'm not, I'm not questioning you, colleague me old i am old i'm 38 years old and i understand what the consequences of my actions are i did quit my job last year and was keenly aware of the repercussions of doing that you don't just go up oh, after this flip the table walk away and go you know i was young you are you, you lose not... that after age of 29 that's you're it's out the door that's like he he goes on Twitter and he like tweets something racist and he's like I didn't know I was, I was a young. wee babe of thirty eight like oh yeah no I just didn't know what that meant no it's yeah I I saw that I was just like what I'm like thirty you were young you were not young I'm sorry in baseball terms you were a senior citizen yeah like you were not no. young. Oh, not young, young that, that excuse isn't gonna fly but that was I, I thought that was actually one of the sweetest and like i like that that was like a great baseball moment which is this this manager manager goes guy. out and blah, 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 you know at the end of it he kind of turns to him and he goes you were safe and i'm like oh yeah He's like, <laughs> it's, it's love given the way only a manager can in a very <laughs> exactly like, theatrical way so after he he gets denied that the last plate appearance so the game is tied, tied. It is tied because yeah. T-Rex Pennebaker is up. Stan is batting fourth in this particular game. It, I didn't think this was the last game of the season. I guess it is, but like, it didn't seem like that was, I must have, I may have missed that, but I thought it was like, I don't know. I guess it's the last game of the season. He only came up in September. Like he was a September roster expansion call up. They played two series at home and then he went on the road. For a couple series, then for a couple came back. home. So yeah, I could. He might have been done. Timing so T Rex gets up and he hits hits a wall ball double. So doesn't end the game. Stan gets a chance. The pitcher is throwing it. He's he's like throwing around him. He's not gonna give him a pitch to hit. Stan's upset. It really looked like he was gonna intentionally walk him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which which you could see happening, right? Yeah. You could see again, pitcher's kind of doing that. I kind of thought this would have been a great moment. When when they had the original, the the for his three thousandth hit, there was a rookie pitcher for the uh, Atlanta Braves on the mound, and the, the fact that they mentioned oh, it was Boston, it was Boston, yeah. So they they mentioned he's a rookie, and I'm like ah ah ha ha. Nine years later, he'll still be in the league. He's gonna come back and be that guy. Never, never seen again. No, it's baby Zach Cranky. It's possible that he uh he did look like Zach Cranky. It it's very possible that his career ended with like a uh, like distorted testicle after the fall, after he's after Stan lost three thousand hit. Like in the loss in the thing was he had to retire after the game after a severe testicle, testicle contusion. Damage. Uh <laughs> But like, I was like, oh, I, he's going to come back again and be like, I'm not going to let you get my that 3,000th hit again. 
Like I thought there'd be more stakes, but whatever. He's pitching around him and he does give him a pitch to hit, but Stan decides to lay down a bunt, kind of like a, like a, like not like a sacrifice bunt, but like a, he's kind of sees T-Rex getting into like a running mode. T-Rex takes off, Stan drops down a drag bunt and the, the pitcher is pulled off the mound and he makes the play at first. Stan is out, but T-Rex goes from second all the way home to win the game. The Milwaukee Brewers are in third place. Jay Leno is thrilled. Larry <laughs> King's having the time. Larry of his King has paid off his bet. Um, and Stan does not have his 3,000 hit. He ends his He's return. 2,999. But because of that, he finally made the sacrifice play. And the baseball writers are like, okay, he did it. And they vote him into the Hall of Fame. The end. And he um, gets the girl. And he gets the girl. And he gets the girl. Uh, yeah. Because he does he doesn't do anything that sac he doesn't he does nothing for the relationship part to earn that uh that like return. Like why is she deciding like oh he's changed? Like he was a jerk throughout his playing career. He was a jerk throughout his retirement. He was a jerk at the start of his return, he was a jerk through most of his return. He's kind of less of a jerk through it after 299 and he goes on his like like campaign tour back to being a jerk, mm-hmm. blows off a meeting with her and then drops a sack uh, drag bunt. And suddenly he's a better person. The better person. And she decides to give up her career to- No, no, no. She did, she was a producer still. Okay. They kind of emphasize that she did decide to be a producer in Milwaukee because they they emphasize that that was a job she could do, but she couldn't. I'm sorry, you can't be a unit yeah. producer for ESPN in Milwaukee. That's a step down, but, but she also does have that now that Viagra money. They got that Viagra money, and that's yeah, pharmaceutical I, money is yeah, that's the, the end. The final part the of the movie is his Viagra commercial. Good, good for them. Yeah, so that, that that's the end. Is that he bunts? He does not get his hit, and he buys and a he buys the Mister Softies ice cream truck, which is he buys the the ice cream truck, and you kind of see him at the little league game, looking back on you know his childhood and yeah, trying to give that to the the kids. I that was one of the moments in the film also that they bond uh, that uh, T Rex and him bond is like talking about what's the sound of baseball, and it's the. And, he, and he's whistling the, the Trucks, Mr. Yeah. Softy truck. And he's like, that's what I, you know, when I was a kid growing up on the south side of Chicago, after baseball, you know, we'd hear the truck, we'd all run and get ice cream. And then T-Rex is like, nah, I'm uh, from, you know, Philly. Philly this and is it's, what it sounded like, yeah. Which, which is, I really wish that was better. Like, I feel yeah. like that scene had like all of the like raw material for like a pretty good, like baseball scene, bonding scene, but mm, did not land at all. Did not yeah. land. It was at a little all. bit cute. Yeah, you're right. Like one of the biggest failings of this movie is that I think it wanted to be a baseball comedy, but it was a soft drama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it isn't a funny movie. Like there are one or two funny lines. We talked a lot about how this reminded us of Mr. Baseball. Um, it's it's like an American like a, retelling of Mr. Baseball. An aging kind of fish out of water. And he's only a fish out of water in the sense of this case that if he doesn't really know how baseball nine years later really mm-hmm. works and he doesn't know his teammates, but you still have Japanese stereotypes coming up to 
you know you have a romantic name. thing and you have the ending is almost the exact same as mr baseball which is instead of chasing individual glory he goes for the team for glory. the team glory and yeah it's very similar um both of them didn't have a romantic plot that worked for me mr baseball was better in that regard because he yeah. at least sacrifices more him and her father uh bond and that actually makes much more sense as to why she is like, I get that. Less creeped out by the relationship <laughs> between Mo and Stan. That's true. They are much more both age appropriate and have history and like. She wasn't bathing him. <laughs> There's a lot more. I I do believe the sexual chemistry better for sure. Um, a little bit. They didn't really have very good chemistry either. They though. They and not. how do you not have chemistry with Angela Bassett. Angela Bassett will get you eight, eight, eight tenths of the way there. I feel like you just need a little bit more. Like she is an actress that will be like, I'll, I'll get almost all the way. You yeah. just gotta give a little bit. And like, eh, Bernie, not, not great. Like, like, and I feel, and I do feel like this is, I, I feel like I, the piece is here. Like if you were telling me I, I'm giving like a Bernie Mac central movie and I feel like it's a comedy, I I'm expecting a lot more laughs than this. And I, I think the script just does not work. Honestly, I'm, I'm not even, I wouldn't even be mad with it as a Bernie Mac soft drama. He can do that too. He did a great job. Like his performance in this movie was great. I thought like that, everything starting from that intro Reebok commercial, I'm like, I bought him as a he looked you know, the part. stubborn, hard-headed. He looked the part, he did it, yeah slightly aging kind of dh type character who knows how good he is and isn't afraid to tell you how good he is and he carried that really well as like he plays the jerk he plays the foil and in a way i think it would have been a better story if you'd removed the romantic element and the mm. story was this kind of up-and-comer penna baker meeting this old obtuse selfish retired player for some reason like the foil needs to work but i thought if it was about that relationship and that kind of building as opposed to the romance and i say this as a baseball romance writer <laughs> that you don't always need to put romance in these movies like who are you trying to sell on it by adding that romantic subplot because i did not care about those no. two at all i was way more invested in mo's career arc and like what she was going to do and how she had accomplished the things she had accomplished. Give me more of her story. Like, I don't even need it to be a romance. Like right. give me more of Mo pushing back at ESPN to get more time on air to tell the stories that she wanted to tell. And, you know, maybe that's what inspires him to be a better person because she writes something that's just like, Oh man, I really was a jerk. And this piece has spoken to me in that sense. Like there's more interesting things you could have done with her than being that girl he cheated on when he was in Toronto. A couple of things. Um, first, going back to like, it was kind of a soft drama. According to one IMDB tidbit, and I'm always kind of skeptical of the veracity of these little trivia bullet points on IMDB, a few actors that were approached for the role, I'm guessing before Bernie Mac, John Travolta, Richard Gere, and Denzel Washington. 
And so I'm almost wondering whether or not the initial script for this movie was more of a drama. Mm-hmm. And then when they landed with Bernie Mac, they kind of pivoted to turn it into more of a comedy. Or they just let him ad lib stuff. Like, Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Um, and, and then the second thing, going going back to your point, I wonder if this movie could have benefited from some more flashbacks, maybe a la um, For Love, for of, love the game. of the Game. Because we only got that that early glimpse into what Stan was like in his initial career and it was at the end of his career. Like he retired there and I'm kind of curious. Yeah. Maybe we get some of that history with him and Mo. Maybe it's a little more clear. Maybe we get some more of what he was like. Maybe when he was in that Pennebaker role, when he was the star for the Brewers and have that juxtaposed with him now playing the old man in the clubhouse. I think that might've given us a little more insight into the character that that he was as he you know went through his career. I also think he should have gotten to punch the sausage. Yeah, that would have been funny too. I would have been great. I feel like that would have closed that particular character dynamic for me. Like just the sausage is out exact... on the field, just coming off the sausage races, and he comes yeah. out of the dugout and just wallops the sausage. That would have been funny. That when did Dimitri Young hit the sausage at the sausage? Sausage race. I don't know. Because Dimitri that, Young, was it Dimitri Young? I would have such who a whack of that. Randall Simon. It was Randall Simon, different big bodied first baseman. Randall Simon uh whacked. It was in 2003. Oh, that would have hurt. That was just in the zeitgeist. I was expecting it because there's a very famous baseball clip. It's not great because I think the person in the sausage costume was like actually a woman and she actually did get like kind of hurt. So it's like Randall Simon is this first baseman and he's on the sideline and the sausage race is going by and he just like takes his bat and he like bonks oh. the the sausage running by and the person collapses and it's like I think in theory you're like oh, I'm just gonna bonk this giant thing but it's like you're a baseball player and you hit somebody with a bat and there's like foam but it's not that much foam and so like it was like kind of like a big deal and uh yeah, and I think eventually, I think he like gave like a sign bat or something like that to the person, and they made up. But uh, that's hilarious. I was expecting that, right? Like he get, have... like give him the comeuppance of like bam, and then there was no like finality to that. So um, I don't know. I yeah, it didn't it didn't really enter me. Um, let's quickly just kind of talk about what did work and what didn't, and kind of our general feelings on it, and then who we would pick. To, to play for the race. Yeah, I think overall this film, I think we we, we sort of hit it, is I, I don't think, I think I was hoping for a comedy. You have a very, very funny leading man and you're coming in with a premise that I think is ripe for humor. And I just, I was wanting more laughs or to really, you have to really lean into the emotional side if you're going to get that. So I think overall the baseball looked great. I thought like, Everybody that played, all the actors in, in their shots, like Bernie Mac in particular, similar to Tom Selleck, like I really buy him as this like big, older, you know, late 30s and then eventually 40s slugging first baseman, you know, big lumbering guy that like I could see like he's not going to be the fast contact hitter, but like get the barrel to the ball and absolutely could see that person being like an absolute hitting machine. T-Rex, like I said, he, he looks just like Mookie Betts, basically. He's got that like nice wiry frame but lots of power he had that like wiry like 
like the cat like movement out on the field when he was hyper hi, yeah like great yeah. Ath- athlete you know that right like I think it was a center but like he's got that like outfield but almost 50 home run power like speed yeah. like does everything you know uber star uh and you know even the middle infielders and the pitcher like they they all looked good like the baseball looks good um but yeah this needed to pick a lane it picked the median and it just really fell flat. It wasn't a terrible movie, but I was pretty. It was just I was just kind of bored. Like it was. It didn't drag, but it was just. It was just sort of like. Eh. Yeah, it. it I, I'd agree with that. I think it's definitely not the worst thing we've watched. It's actually in the upper half of what we've watched. Um, I would not suggest you not watch it. Like I think if it's on TV and you want to watch a baseball movie, it made me feel things about missing baseball. Like I really enjoyed watching it. That aspect of it, like. I was like, oh man, I can't wait for baseball to come back to like start thinking about these things. And you're right, 100%. Like the actual baseball aspects of this movie were actually really great. I thought there were a couple of really solid needle drops. And my favorite in the entire movie was they slow-mo played a double ta- a double play with the, the guys in the middle infield and they were playing Rob Bases at Takes Two uh, during that slow-mo double play. And I'm just like, oh, chef's kiss. That was, that played so well for me. I really dug that. And just watching, you know, the guys in the dugout, the manager fight, I absolutely adored that moment. And there were some solid lines throughout, but it wasn't funny. It wasn't a comedy. It wasn't a good romance. And it was a passable drama with a decent outcome. I cried. I'm not going to lie. Like, if we're going to talk about this, the moment where he laid down that bunt, and sacrificed his 3,000th hit to get the team to win the game and to get where they needed to be. And he's like, oh, it's bigger than me. Um, I cried. I had a good cry as he was like, as the guys were like piling on each other at home plate. And he's kind of like sad sack over on first base going like, oh yeah, well, that was it for me. And he kind of like sadly looks around and then the whole team like in slow-mo welcomes him into the huddle. I'm like, there were some baseball tears happening there. Um, But yeah, it was... um, it was fine. It was a fine movie that you will not regret watching, but you can rest easy that you don't have to regret it if you don't watch it. Yes. And I also really loved, I think that the the media like time capsule, I did enjoy just seeing like, oh yeah, the best damn sports show, like Tom Arnold, like, wow, that was a weird period in time. And a very young baby Chris Rose, uh, like, you know. Oh my God, I missed that entirely. He's in there. I gotta go check that out. Seeing Peter Gammons on Sports Center, like all that stuff, I was like, ah, oh, that that brings me back. I did enjoy that. Amazing. Yeah, I, I was watching with with my girlfriend, and I was like, you do not understand that Sports Center set no longer exists. But I would watch it every day after school and before school, and you don't understand what I'm feeling right now. <laughs> Seeing Stuart Scott, it's like Stuart Scott, like she grew up being a, like a huge Bernie Mac fan. Like she's not a sports person, so I, I'm Stuart Scott fan. It's like both of these people no longer with us. It made us very sad for a brief moment in time. And uh, yeah, I thought that part of it, even though I was much younger when this movie came out, not to age you guys, but um, it, I, I still I still enjoyed it. You guys both age me on a constant basis. That's fine. <laughs> oh, so let's move on to, and there's some actually some of these movies we have no choices. It's very difficult. This movie, there's a lot of baseball players in this. And not necessarily baseball players, but like there's a lot of characters and like, yeah, like you could, you could, you could select people. Um, So who do we take to add to the Tampa Bay Rays? Ashley, 
I'm going to go with a safe bet here. I love me a slugging outfielder. I'm taking T-Rex Pennebaker all day, every day. He's a bit of a hothead, but I feel like the the kind of, you know, clubhouse atmosphere of the Rays would set that right pretty quick before he became a clubhouse cancer. Uh, and uh, I welcome him aboard. What a what an outfield of Randy, Pennebaker, could have KK or Phillips be the defensive yeah. center. Just boom. I feel like Amazing. all you need to do is like have T-Rex and Phillips hang out for a day and he would just mellow. Like, play some uh it'll be the show he's he's, a, yeah, he's upgraded yeah absolutely his hurts would be off the chart so i think pennebaker is obviously a great choice like you know 50 home run power from an outfielder absolutely superstar i'm going to choose somebody that is in this film he's oh. going to be a prospect we are going to have to actually grow with him quite a bit but he is physically in this film a very young, 17-year-old Buster Posey is what? finally coming to the Rays. He plays the uh, Astros catcher at the no. end of the film. A 17-year-old still in high school, Buster Posey, oh, oh, I feel like that's cheating, but okay. is, is still in this film. He's in the IMDb credits. What? Young Buster Posey. Finally, I get him onto the Rays. I'm righting the wrongs of the past he's gonna have to spend some time down in the minors he's only 17 we're bringing a 17 year old through time and space but the future is bright in the year of actual posey's retirement no less well done i would say it's a little bit cheap of an answer but the fact that like it's the narrative but like the rays not taking buster posey in the 2008 draft i'm very much okay with with that pick Uh, mine's a little off the wall if i could make a coaching addition I'm actually starting oh. to think if there is a character development, this isn't my pick, but if there is a character development with Stan Ross, I don't know. He's got a knack for like hitting and maybe as a hitting coach, he could work out. The one guy I'm going to go with though is when he first gets back into the big leagues, there's this left-handed pitcher. I think his name was Hamilton. And they just said he's got a nasty breaking ball and I'm all for adding a, a lefty with a nasty breaking ball. You know, the Rays have already added Brooks Rayleigh this season. And how about uh, Hamilton? I don't remember what team he played for. Cincinnati, maybe. I don't know. But he's on the Rays now. I'll take him. Like it. Just All right. who's got the best breaking ball. Boom. You're in. Yeah. A little unhittable lefty. Why not? Um, all right. Well, with that, I think our general consensus is that you could do worse than watching Mr. Mr. 3000, which I almost called Mr. Baseball because they're basically the same movie. It's Mr. Baseball 2. Um, all, all Bernie Mac needed was a mustache. Uh, did he have a mustache with this? I don't think he did. I don't no, I can't think remember. he did either, but maybe. It's not as think... prominent as Tom Selleck. No, it's, it was Tom Selleck stash. Um, but yeah, you could definitely do worse. Um, we will probably be, uh, I think our next one up will be the newer version of Bad News Bears. Because um, we want to switch to kind of a kids themed one. We're going to take another shot at trying to get a comedy in here. We'll see. We will attempt it. We'll see how that goes. Billy Bob Thornton, I don't know. Um, but anyway, uh, if you liked it, uh, rate it. And if you didn't, please don't and never mention it to anybody else. Um, <laughs> but we hope you liked it. Glad to be back. Welcome to 2022. Plenty more bad baseball movies to watch. And with that, we will say goodbye. Goodbye.